First Corinthians chapter 3. Really inspiring first verse in chapter 3. If you've came to be uplifted, we'll see how that goes. Happy Mother's Day. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. How would you like to open up that letter and read that? I feel like that often, don't you? I feel like an infant in Christ. Gosh, what am I doing? I'm still being ruled by my flesh. I'm still being ruled by jealousies and fits of rage or whatever it might be. Anybody struggle with that (laughs) stuff? Well, in chapter 2, Paul talks to this beautiful church in Corinth, this young church. He spent 18 months hanging out with them. Imagine spending 18 months with the Apostle Paul. Would that not be like the most amazing in-depth Bible study and just life-changing time that you've ever had? I, I just, I think it is great to have the Apostle Paul writing this letter to him. There's been some correspondent back between he and the church, so there are probably five or six or seven letters, and we're only getting like every other one. And so it's kind of interesting to see uh, what he's talking about. There's concerns in the church. There's correction in the church. Did you know most of the New Testament is dealing with correction? What, what does that say about the church? We kind of need guidance, don't we? We're not instantly mature, are we? Yeah, and so we need a lot of correction. We need guidance, and the Lord is so good here in providing this opportunity for us to see what's going on. And in chapter 2, he is speaking about two different groups of people. There are people all on the earth, as you look out, you can put them into two categories. People with the Spirit of God and people without the Spirit of God. That's it. People who are born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and those who are not. Those are the two camps. As you look out in the sea of people, as you're looking at the Super Bowl and you're looking at all those people in the stadium, there are two groups of people. There are not two teams and all that stuff. There are two groups of people, and this is all that really matters. People who are born of the Spirit and people who are not. And Paul, in chapter 2, he says, who can know what's inside a man's heart? I don't know what's in your heart unless you reveal it. And he's saying that your spirit is what reveals who you are. In the same way, the Spirit of God reveals the thoughts of God. And when we have come to Jesus Christ, and we call out and we say, we are sinners, save us, what happens is we are born again by the Spirit of God. God's Spirit now comes in and dwells us, and now we have the heart of God, the mind of God, the thoughts of God in our hearts. We're now children of our Father in heaven. And by the way, you still have your old nature in there too, don't you? And these two are fighting back and forth every single day. Yeah, very fun. Romans, we'll get there. But he's saying that those who have the Spirit of God, they can discern both worlds. They know what it's like to walk according to the flesh, and they know what it's like to walk according to the Spirit. And so he's saying in chapter 2, basically, You, now that you have the Spirit of God, you're able to tell the heart and the plan and the mind of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And and it's as you look at life, as you make decisions, you're no longer making them with the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom says that you must do A, B, and C in order to get D, or uh, be the best for yourself. Cut out everybody else and go to the top. 
Uh, everything is a stepping stone. Um, the greatest is the best. The one with the most toys at the end of the life wins, right? I mean, whatever you want to, the world's philosophies, shop till you drop, whatever, all these things. And I know that's oversimplified. And we come to Jesus's wisdom, the wisdom of God, which the world looks at and mocks. You see, Corinth was a very intellectual society. They had three colleges. They had a bunch of academics walking around and, and they worshiped the intellect. They worshiped deep thought. They worshiped art. They worshiped culture. They worshiped music. They were really just inspired by that. And so what happens is, is, is a religious leader walks in their midst who's talented. And they go, oh, I follow that guy. Oh, I follow that person. I go to this church. I go to that church. And Paul is saying, you are using the world's wisdom in judging and in evaluating life. You need to become fools and start to embrace the new life, the new spirit that God has given you. Start to evaluate things not based upon human standards, but upon the Lord's heart, his standard, his wisdom. And so when you come to a relationship, you don't go to Dr. Phil. Forget Dr. Phil. You go to the word of God. You go to the word of God, you go to prayer, you go to spiritual people who are mature in the Lord and you start seeking God and finding God. You want to know what to do with your business? You start seeking the Lord. You start praying. What does the word say about money? And as your mind and your heart is transformed now into the mind of Christ, you start to grow. You start to build your life upon what Jesus said, the foundation, the rock. And you will have extreme persecution for doing it in this world because you're going to be bucking against the system. But you will be mimicking and expressing your Father's heart. And so what do we do with our enemies? We blow them off the map. Right? What does Jesus say to do for your enemies? Pray for them. Does it mean you can't blow them off the map? I'm sure there's a time for that. But what are we to do when we're persecuted? What happens when you're reviled? Do you respond with reviling or do you respond the way that Jesus responded? Yeah, all these types of things. So as Paul is talking to this church, he says, who knows the mind of the Lord? He says, but you guys, you church in Corinth, you have the mind of the Lord. You have his spirit. You, ha- you have his spirit. You've been born again. But guess what? Brothers and sisters, no, he's, he's calling out to them as brothers and sisters. He's saying, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, carnal, fleshy, meatheads, right? We talked about that. Yeah, totally. Mere infants in Christ. And I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. When he came with them, he taught them milk. He gave them milk. And so there's a picture of an infant. Infants, we all love infants. We talked about that last week. There's a time for infancy in the body of Christ. When you come to the Lord, you're new in him. You're learning about foundational truths. You're learning about growing. But quite often, I don't know about you, but infants are pretty self-centered, right? Yeah, I'm, and, and what happens is we want to grow to maturity, which is other-centered, Christ-centered, uh, a, a heart focused on the Lord. That's, that's really part of what we want to have happening in our lives. And so if you flip over to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, I read this a little bit last week. He's, that's right in your Bibles. 5, verse 12. 
Paul speaking, I think it's Paul in, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, let's just say, to be non-controversial. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of the word all over again, you need milk. So he's equating the elementary truths with milk. The foundational truths about Jesus Christ, what are those things? You flip over into chapter 6, verse 2, or actually, uh, actually just read verse 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation. So these are the elementary truths. These are the, this is the milk. Not laying again the foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death. So repentance from sin is an elementary truth, something when you come to the Lord, what do you repent? That's a, that's a major teaching, right? What else? He reads there, and that leads to death, and faith in God, obviously trusting in the faith, through faith we're saved. Instruction about cleansing rites, in other words, baptism. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we're going to move on from those things. And so he talks about maturity, actually up there, uh, in verse 13 in chapter 5, it says, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the, about the teachings of righteousness. And so maturity is when you move on from elementary salvation. Jesus is the milk. Jesus is the meat. So there is no hierarchy, but we move on to you want to grow. You don't want to stay in, in spiritual diapers for 15 years, right? That's not fun for you. It's not fun for everyone else around you or me right? I mean, me being that way to you. It's, one of the, it's not, you know, we need to grow in Christ. And that's, and that's the idea. When you have a plant, and he's going to talk about this, when you put something in the ground, what's the idea? What is your heart and your mind that you get something out of it, right? You want to see that thing come to maturity and do what it's supposed to do. And that's Paul, 18 months spending with these people, laboring, laying the foundation, now saying, I want to feed you some meat, but guess what's happening? You're not ready for it. You're still ready for milk. How does he know this? By the way they are acting. They're being divisive. They're dividing the body of Christ. They're drawing attention uh, to people instead of to the Lord. And that's a sign of immaturity. And so he says in chapter 3, you're still worldly, you're still carnal. You're infants in Christ, and I gave you milk, not solid food, verse 2, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. You are still worldly. And this, this, now this is, he's giving some symptoms of worldliness. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Jealousy and quarreling. Does that happen within churches? Yes, it does. Does it happen within our body? Does it happen within our body? Of course it does. Does it happen within our homes? Does it happen within politics? Does it happen in all these other ways? I mean, your church and my church and all these churches we go to and, and who's got more people and what's going on and all this stuff. And, oh, well, I go to this church and you go to that church. I mean, I'm a, you know, I've been going, you know. There's some jealousies. There's some quarreling. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with being thankful. You know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with being thankful. But what do we want to do? We want to draw attention to God in these things. And that's what he's bringing to maturity. Immaturity divides people up by race, culture, all these ethnicities. Immaturity divides and conquers. Christ unites. 
He eliminates male, female, Scythian, slave, free, and he brings them all under one, one family and says, you're, you're the Lord. And so if you find yourself jumping to these things, realize they're playing on your carnal nature. They're playing on those things. They're playing you. And the enemy would want to do that. We want to look at people according to the Spirit and according to character, according to the Word of God. Amen? I just don't bite. But he goes, you know, this, these, there's jealousy, there's quarreling among you. People aren't getting along. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like you're not saved? And so he says, now within Christianity, there's two different groups. So the big world is split up into two different groups, those who don't, don't have the Spirit and those who do have the Spirit. And then what he's saying is that there's, who, there's people who actually have the Spirit who are born again who are acting like they're not. Wow or refuse to submit to the Spirit and refuse to grow. And so within this church, within our lives, do you think that dynamic is going on? Yes. Not very fun to address on a Mother's Day, is it? But nevertheless, we're here. It always happens on Mother's Day or Christmas or something like that. But he goes, you're still worldly, for since there's jealousy and quarrel among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Aren't you acting like the way you used to be, the way the world acts? For when one says, I follow Paul, how many of you, your Bible say, I am of Paul? I am of Paul. That's the banner I have. I am of Paul. I follow Paul. Same idea. I am of Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? Aren't you acting the way the world works? Isn't that carnal thinking? And then now he explains, what after all, what is Apollos? This um, amazing, eloquent speaker that God has brought to you and who has, who's got tremendous gifting within the body of Christ. You look at him, you go, wow, who is that person? Who is Paul, this person whose shadow crosses across people and they get healed? I, can't, I get mixed up with him and Peter. It might be his handkerchief, I don't know, whatever. Amazing stuff going out, you know? What happens? Who are these people? Only servants. Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has noticed, the Lord assigned each to his task. And so Paul instantly goes, you know what I am? I am a slave of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. And that's what each minister, that's what each one of us should reckon ourselves as when we step out in the Lord or being used by the Lord or whatever it might be. I'm simply a servant. And notice, who called, who called you? The Lord assigned. The Lord assigned Paul. The Lord assigned Paulus. The Lord assigned you. And it's not up to us to make a decision or whether or not we do something. It's up to us to say, yes, Lord, and obey. So when we're dealing with children's ministry, it's not your call. It's not your call. It's the Lord's call. Have you brought it before the Lord? And I'm just saying, this is how you deal with maturity. It's not based on your schedule. It's not based on your feelings or what you like or where you are in life and all that stuff. Throw it out the door. Or I've done my time. I've heard it all. You know what it's based on? What is your will, Lord Jesus? I am a servant. I'm, I'm simply at your call. Whatever you want, wherever you call me to or not to go, Lord, I really don't want to do that. Is that cool with you? And he could very well say, that's fine. 
You see what I'm saying? How does that grate against your flesh? Do you think I want to be leading worship every single week? Every, that's, that's really, why do I do that? God, bless people. There's a need. Use me. I'm weak. I'm dumb. I'm, I know my music is, you know, it's outdated now and all that stuff. Who cares? Lord, just use. Bless. And Lord, if you decide that I should, I should move, then, I, then I'll move. But who am I? You see what I'm saying? The heart is, you're Lord. You assign. And that's what we do. We follow in obedience. And as we step out in obedience, God is glorified. Not through my abilities, my talents, but by his power. And that's what Paul is saying. You, you're, you're, what you're admiring in me, what you're admiring in Paul, and Apollos is what he's saying, is you're admiring God's spirit. And you're so carnal, you don't recognize that God is the one orchestrating this. He's the one who brought there. He's the one who's blessing. Put your eyes upon him. You're acting like mere human beings. So what are, what are we? Paul and Apollos, only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each to his task. And now he brings in the agriculture analogies. He's, he's relating it to them in, in simple terms, which I love. Thank you, Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes a thing grow. It doesn't make a difference if you plant it and it doesn't grow. It doesn't make a difference if you water it and it doesn't grow. God is the one who actually assigned the person casting the seed. God is the person who assigned to water it. So this, what I'm doing right now is I'm casting the seed upon hearts and there are hearts in this room that will reject what is being said. There are hearts that will accept it. It's not up to me. I'm the person who's just sitting there going, okay, feeble person, don't look at me. God here casting the seed and it's going on hearts. All kinds of hearts. And I don't take it personally if you say, oh, that was dumb. Okay, yeah, I know, because I'm, I'm like, look what God's using. And may I be the less, may, I, may you even look at me even more foolishly for who I am and go, wow, look at the word for what it is. And as the word goes out, it lands on hearts and people accept it, reject it. Someone comes along and they reinforce it. They say some spiritual things to you. They pray over you. They encourage you. They hang out with you. They disciple you throughout the week, watering. But who's the one who causes that miracle to happen in your heart to where it grows? That's the Lord. That's the Lord. Some people put emphasis on the scattering of the seed. Some people put emphasis on the watering. Some people put emphasis on the harvest. What are all those people? They're nothing. They're servants. It's God and his work. And we just simply go, Lord, what have you called me to be? Because that is the plan. Ladies and gentlemen, you are part of the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is the ministry of reconciliation. God bringing sinful man into right relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, period. And he's called out sinners, hello, (laughs) to be a chief part of that, to be the main way of doing it. What part are you in of that? Are you part of the scattering? Are you part of the watering? Are you part of the harvest? Are you part of the prayer network? Are you part of the support network? What part are you in that? In that? And to glory in what God has given you to do and just to say, Lord, take this humble part that I have 
and use it for your glory, and here I am. And praise God, and all of us working together, guess what happens? People come to Jesus. The Lord is glorified. The city is impacted, and people start to not like you. And persecution, and all those other things, and the enemy starts working on your marriage and your house, and you're, you're going, what's going on? Well, we wake up to the reality that there's a spiritual war going on. And then again, maturity, discernment, these things, you start to grow in it. So he's saying, we're only servants. The Lord has assigned us. I planted the seeds. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. And so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. And he's taking this church that's focused on men and he's focusing them on God. And that is what a leader does. We focus people on Jesus Christ. That's what a servant leader does. That's what a pastor does. That's what anyone who's leading a group, that's what a mom and a dad do. We focus people not on, 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 on human people to lift up and, and all that stuff. We focus them on God ultimately. Yes, we recognize God uses broken people, but look at God. Look at what he's doing through this person who's scattering seed. Look at the Lord. And that's what he's doing. He's focusing on the one who plants, the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. As I said, when you have a plant and you put it in the ground or a seed and you put it in the ground, what is your purpose in that? I want to see that thing come to maturity. I want to have fruit. I kill things. I don't know what it is, but I can't grow anything. Uh, You know, I mean, just John, you know, he's got an amazing green thumb over there. You know, John Davin and John, my son, hangs out with John Davin and they've been planting stuff together. And they harvested radishes. You me had radishes, good radishes, yummy. The purpose of those going in the ground was so that you go, mmm. Right? John doesn't even like radishes. What do you think the Lord's purpose in putting his word in your heart is? To enjoy the fruit to enjoy the maturity, to enjoy Christ in you, to see a person who was once a thief become a giver, to see a person who was once filled with anger be filled with love, to see a person who was greatly abused become someone who is a forgiver and someone who actually mends people's hearts. The power of Christ, amen? longing for that, but God has a purpose of putting his word in your heart to bring it to maturity. But you see, Paul is grieved and the Holy Spirit's grieved when that is stunted, when that stops, when that becomes, when you see a plant stay that big forever. Do you think that makes a farmer happy? What do you think it means for God when he sees the potential of your life, when he sees the potential of the calling, the potential of what he's put in you in his word, when he sees it not happening and we're staying spiritually immature uh, in so many ways? It grieves his heart. Because, oh, how he longs to see you enjoy all that he's called you to be, all that he's created you for. And so how do you start growing in Christ? Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Repent. Same way you came to him is the way you continue in him. He'll point out something for you to do. You do it. And you trust and obey, whether you want to or not. No matter how you feel, you put your trust in the Lord. It's not a feelings thing. And we trust and obey, and we start to grow. 
Now, another, how many of you have weeds in your, in, in your lawn and you've been doing, have, doing all that lately? What's the quota from weeds to, like, flowers? Which grows more easily? Think there's a spiritual analogy there? Weeds grow a lot more easier than, than something that's meant to have fruit and harvest. We live in a fallen world. And so do you think the things of the Lord will take a little bit longer in your life? Might be a little bit more long-term, not so much instant gratification, but feel more like the cross? You think God wants to develop character instead of happiness? You think characters might be up higher on the scale than instant joy? How does God work? Through toil, through pain, through suffering, he does, through trials, through tribulation, through trusting. How many of you want to sign up for that? You're in it. And so in your struggling right now, in your pain, in your weeded garden, have you called out and said, Lord, I'm, I'm stuck. I've got weeds all around me. How do I get out of this thing? And he'll give you one thing to do and you step out and you do it. And you'll start to have growth and life in your heart and the water starts to flow of his word and his spirit. And all of a sudden, as you start to fix your eyes upon Jesus and no longer on self and self-centeredness, and as you just start to, to make him the apple of your eye, all the weeds start to fade away. All the difficulties get put in perspective. Are they still there? Of course they are. But your heart is not overcome by them. And you have joy in your heart again and life and hope and you have purpose and meaning in the midst of it. And you have power. And you're able to see and relate with people around you who are in similar circumstances, who don't have the Spirit of God, and they're looking and going, how come you have joy going through chemotherapy? How come you have joy going through suffering like you're going through? How come you have joy? What is with you? What do you say? Well, it's because of this book I'm reading and because of this wisdom I've attained. It's Jesus, his hope in me. That's what's going on. This body's wearing out, didn't you know? Your body's wearing out too. Guess what? I got a new one lined up any day now. And it's eternal. And he says, the one who plants and the one who waters, they have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. Do you know that you will be rewarded according to what you have done? According to your labor? According to what you've done? You'll be rewarded for it. For we are co-workers, verse 9, in God's service. Paulus and I, we're just co-workers. And you are God's field. You're God's field. You're the people that we're investing in. And now he goes, he goes, you're God's building. And so he switches from an agricultural to an architectural type of thing. He's reaching a different group of people. Jesus was a, yeah, was a carpenter, you know, stonemason, so he's talking to some other a different group of people. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. How many of you have built a house? Anybody had a house built? How many of you like foundations that stink? 
How many of you want a solid foundation? How many of you want a foundation that is going to be solid for years to come? And so Paul steps out and he says, I have built a, 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 a foundation. I am a wise master builder. Is that what he says? What does he start out and say? saying? By the grace of God, I have been given wisdom to build a foundation. That foundation is Jesus Christ. You do not do anything in the kingdom of God based upon your abilities. They're all by the grace of God. The reason why I'm standing here, sitting here this morning, is by the grace of God. Anything we do for the Lord is by his grace, just his goodwill towards us that he allows us to do it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. And that's what happens. You lay the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, and someone else later on starts to add to that ministry. I did not lay the foundation of this church, but I am adding to it, correct? Amen. I, did, I wasn't in the beginning some hundred and some odd years ago, or wasn't here 15 years ago. Someone else was laying a foundation, Correct? We're adding on to it. So, but each one, and Paul recognized, someone's going to come after me. They're going to be building on it. But each one should be, uh, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, "Upon this rock, I will build my kingdom." Speaking of the truth that Peter spoke, Jesus said, "You know, you want to have a life that is on a foundation. You build it upon." My word, Jesus is the word. We build it upon him, the foundation, the elementary truths of salvation by grace through faith in him alone. Those things are the rock and you build upon it. Jesus is the cornerstone. We can go into that, but we don't have time. There's so much there. For no one can lay any foundation that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. He's picturing the temple wood uh, of gold, silver, and, and, and costly stones. These aren't like, uh, you know, gems. They are most likely like marble and that kind of deal. The, he's, he's picturing the temple most likely, and then there's wood, hay, and stubble. What, what, kind, of, what kind of building are we building? It's going to be revealed. When is it going to be real, revealed? Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. The day of judgment will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to the unbelievers? Who's talking to the church? He's talking about people building the church. He's talking about a day when what we do and the motives we do it with, the day when what we do and the motives we do it with and have done it with, will be brought to light. And guess what? What is done with gold, silver, precious stones, marble, those things that were of pure motive, that were laid out of, out of the word of God, built upon the foundation of the word of God, those things will last. The things that were done without the pure motivations were done for some other reason. And this is what he's getting at, using worldly wisdom to build the church. Using worldly wisdom to build the church. Guess what's going to happen? fire time. And it will be incinerated. God is a consuming fire. Each one of us will stand up in front of the Lord. And I do not believe that we are going to escape judgment. 
You will, every person will be judged for what they have done in their body or not. Yes, it's the mercy seat. It's the Bema seat. We will stand before Christ, but the crud that's happened in our lives will be burnt, will be brought in front of us. Everything we've done and hidden, all the motives we've done, everything will be brought bare before the Lord. It isn't like, oh, let's not pretend that's there. It will be brought up and it will be incinerated before him. And what is left will be, will be rewarded according to it. That's what happens to the believer. That's what happens to the believer. So let us walk circumspectly, Peter would say. Let us walk. Uh, let's think about what we're doing here. We got a weird concept of grace. We're going to get set before the Lord, and he's going to play the video, and we're going to figure out what's going to happen and, and, and why we did what we did. Did we build the church with human wisdom or did we build it based upon grace by grace through faith uh, and, and through what the scripture says he, he talks about it again in in second corinthians chapter i think it was second corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 through 10 Yeah, this is verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. I don't, what do you do with that verse? That's one of those, ha ah. <laughs> Okay, there's some seriousness going on here. Whatever you, what, so what are you building with? What is the motive you have to serve? What is the motive I have to serve? Is it for the pleasure of men? What is the motive for going to church, for giving, for all the things we do? Because is is, God's going to reveal that, right, in the end? And so when you come to the reality of who you are and why you're doing what you're doing and the Holy Spirit reveals it to you, you go, ah, wood, hate, and stubble, Lord. Save me from wood, hate, and stubble. Will you replace it with precious stones, gold, silver? Make my motives pure. Change that about me. That's not right. That doesn't bring you glory, Lord. And guess what? He answers those prayers. And he refines us now. And we become more like Christ. It's not just about doing stuff. It's about how we do it. And he says... If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved. Praise the Lord, huh? Even though only as, only as one escaping fire, Revelation 21.4, you can read that later. I don't want to like end up at the end with like all this fanfare and all the things I've done and all the things, look at what I've done and, and then <laughs> gets burnt down to like some little square thing. I go, here, Lord. You know? Yay, I'm rewarded according to that. What has God allotted to you? What has he given you? You are not, your judgment before the Lord, the mercy seat, your reward is not based upon what Billy Graham has done. It's based upon who you are in front of the Lord. What has he given you to do? Whether it's be at home with your kids and make sure you're raising godly kids, which to me is the greatest need in our country right now. Excuse me, talk about high calling needing to invest God in godly little kids. My gosh, moms and dads investing in little lives. Ah, oh, so important today. 
or whether it's out there beating, slaying dragons in the business world or whatever you're doing. Just what has the Lord called you to do? And, and now the ending part. It says, do not deceive yourselves. If you think you're wise, if you think you're doing things according to the world's standards, by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may actually may become wise. So any, any t- it says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Remember that. The wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So next time, you know, you hear all the professors and they're saying all their things on TV about what, just go, you know what? What does God have to say about this? I hear you, but how does that stack up with what the Lord says? This is not a plea for ignorance. But you take what people say and you match it up against the word of God, God's way of thinking. What does he say about that? What does he say about politics? What does he say about marriage? What does he say about those things? What does he say about what's going on in Baltimore right now? What does the Lord say about that? What's the real issue? What's the, what's the real issue? What does the word say? I tell you what, it has to, a lot to do with the human heart, doesn't it? Has, there's some sin going on, you, you think? You think there's a lack of peace because the king of peace isn't ruling in young men's, young women's hearts, police officers' hearts, maybe? I don't know. I can't judge people, but I know that I don't want to sit there and listen to all the pundits all day long rambling of their talking points and trying to pull people to their different camps of crud to divide people to get political power because that's what's going on. What does the Lord say? How does his heart break for these things? Well, people are burning down houses and yet people in Nepal don't even have a home. The world's wisdom is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the, world, uh, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Job chapter 5, Psalm 94. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. Application. <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> Stop it, church in Corinth. All things are yours, and I love this. You have such a minute, limited view, church, is what he's saying to them, and I, and I just look at this and I go, oh, thanks, Lord. Thanks for telling me this. You're trying to say, I follow, I am of Apollos. I am of Paul, and he says, guess what? They're both yours. They're both yours. Not only us, Paul is saying, we're yours. We're your servants. You don't have to choose between this pastor, that pastor, this church, that church. Guess what? It's all yours. It's all yours. How? Paul, Apollos, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future are all yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is God's. You don't have to play into your flesh. It's yours. It's a whole new world. I'm a Methodist. I am a non-Methodist. I am a Baptist. Oh, yeah, well, I'm a Southern Baptist. I know. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, and so 
I follow. Really? Let's follow Jesus. We're Christ. And that's what he says at the end. He says some stuff say, I follow this person, this person, this person, this person. And at the end he says what? I follow Christ. And that is the mature thing. To follow Jesus Christ till the day we die. And we can love people and not be divided, amen? amen. According to who's across the street or what day they worship on or don't. Amen? But we do hold right-hand doctrines, things that do divide us. If you don't believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day, you're not a Christian, and I can't fellowship with you in a church. Amen? And that he's coming back. Those things are non-negotiables. But different days of worship, hey, why not? Female pastors, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Speaking in tongues, not speaking in tongues. The Lord will work all that stuff out in the end. Amen? Amen. So, in finishing verse 4, we're done. This, then, is, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries of God as revealed. And this word servant is different than the other word servant. The other word, the other word servant in chapter 4, I know it's not up there, but chapter 4, it says, Chapter 3 says we're servants, we're deacons. We're all deacons, we're just servants, slaves. This word is, how should you look at Paul and Apollos? We're under rowers, and that's the word. We're the guys below on the third deck going, yes, Lord. And we're rowing a boat. So how does the kingdom of God work? Is it a hierarchy? As so many churches set it up? to where, where people are made to attain certain levels and then they can do this? Or is it a servantarchy? It's where the greatest is the least. The servant of all. You know? And that's why I like you call me Matt. I know people go, hey, pastor, I understand. But I'm just Matt. <laughs> you know? And, and I want to serve alongside of you. That's why I will, I get in trouble for doing stuff I shouldn't, taking out the trash cans or whatever. I'm, I'm not above it. We're not above it. We're all together in this together. We're co-laborers in Christ Jesus. We're all in the same boat, same mission, to have people grow in Christ and to bring glory to God. What part are you on that? What part? Pray, ask the Lord who created you, what have you made me for to bring you glory? What kind of plant am I? What kind of seed am I casting? What kind of, what am I, where can I water today? Where can I harvest? Amen? Amen? Lord God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the unity, Lord, that you bring. We thank you that we can be from different backgrounds and different teaching styles or different uh, you know, upbringings and all this stuff in you. We can go to churches where we stand and do backflips and we can and we can be at churches where we sit and be quiet the whole time or whatever it is. And yet you are Lord. And you love every person in those, those, those places and you long for them to know you and to hear you and to be with you and to walk with you and to bring you glory and for you to fill them with your life and your love and the mind of your son. And that's what you're longing to do here.
And so, Lord, will you increase your spirit within our hearts? Will you make us keenly aware of our worldliness and our flesh in our infancy, Lord? And will you help us to recognize, I need help growing, and that we would call out and that you would provide and that we would make spiritual steps based upon what your word has said, not how we feel. And as we step out, that you'd meet us in great ways and you would part the seas and calm the waters and whatever you need to do, Lord. Grow your church. And I know that there have been people here, myself included, uh, who just need that growth. Not just to go to another Bible study, but to hear you speak and to hear you change us. And that we would be under the banner of your love, Lord. Would you speak continually to your flock this week? Would you bless each one in this room deeply and profoundly with your spirit and your presence? Would you pull away uh, the things, the, the rattles we hold in our hands, Lord? Would you make us keenly aware of your presence and, and, and deeply uh, dissatisfied with staying an infant in Christ and long for not only the pure milk, but the meat. That we would learn how to discern good and evil and walk in righteousness and to love deeply. And that you would walk among this church every week like you are and enjoy the fruit. Every day that you would enjoy the fruit. We love you and we live to bring you glory. And in your name, amen.